0: Hi guys, the following episode of Chisky Pop contains mature language and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hi, um this is Mimi Mondal, and you're listening to Choosky Pop. <laughs>
2: this is papu and this is sweetie and you're listening to Chisky pop your bi-weekly dose of all things sexy desi funny and filmy On episode 54, we would like to call this week's episode our Mujse Dosti Karoge episode. We will be discussing adult friendships. Plus, since we're celebrating Dalit History Month, Sweetie and I will also be interviewing a very special guest. She is a Hugo Award nominated speculative fiction writer, Mimi Mondal.
0: girl it's so good to talk to you you're getting ready to plan for a trip to bhutan
2: yes i'm actually going next week to bhutan uh i've been thinking of this for i think uh last two years i've been telling my mom and so this is gonna be like a family
0: trip because it's gonna be just me my mom and my brother oh fun and for those of our listeners who don't know bhutan is called like the kingdom of bhutan and it's like right on the top northeast side of india right like nestled between Assam in Sikkim. And I know this because I looked at a map and I learned some geography today. But you
2: visited Bhutan. You just told
0: me you were very young, like your early memories. How do you remember it as? Uh, I remembered the plane ride was crazy and I threw up all over my <laughs> mom, like both times when we landed and when we left, <laughs> my poor mother. And I just remember uh, lots of color, beautiful temples, insanely big mountains. And at night, I remember the dogs howling. I just remember hearing dogs all night, like kind of just howling. It was crazy. It was like a very surreal, like memory of mine. Um, but it was beautiful. Yeah, I have one thought, of my first you memories. You talked about
2: the plane ride. Um, there are, I think, only about five or six pilots who in the world who are uh, qualified to land over there. Because uh, first of all, they don't allow any other airline to land apart from their own. Uh, country airline, Druk Airs or Bhutan Airs or something. It's because it's all super mountainous and stuff, right?
0: Like it's just like a very intense Yeah, because it's like area. landlocked
2: and um, that's what um, makes it unique. Um, so, one of the things that uh, I think you might find interesting, and I If you get a chance, you should um, visit Bhutan because uh, a a lot of people, especially from Western countries, when they go there, they are really surprised to see giant, uh, you know, uh, paintings of uh, phalluses like
0: everywhere and like ev- houses I don't remember that like- in my memory oh, at <laughs> all thank god okay so there's a lot of phallic phallic sculptures yeah in the uh, in
2: fact uh th- there is a monastery which is built in honor of in he lived in the 15th to 16th century and um these uh, uh these paintings of giant everywhere and also sculptures of them Uh, you can see them on the walls of houses and buildings throughout Bhutan particularly in in villages what yeah so on the houses yeah it's it's basically to it's like having like you know the um, uh, uh, the evil eye yeah like the eye of Fatima or something more like uh, you know Nimbu Mirchi On your tie down. Right, okay. Just keep the evil eye out. So, this is uh, after the uh, popular Bhutanese saint. uh, His name was uh, Drukpa Kunle. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So he migrated from Tibet in around 14th, 15th century. And uh, he was a crazy saint who traveled all around Bhutan. And he was fond of women and wine. And he adopted blasphemous and unorthodox way of teaching Buddhism. So his way of um, preaching Buddhism and uh, and actually following it was very different. Uh, His sexual exploits included, um, you know... He I guess he had like really, very, very unorthodox uh, ways of celebrating. So it was devoid of all social convention, and he called himself the madman from Kyushuduk. okay? <laughs> okay. His intention was to shock the clergy. and so basically he was more punk, I guess. Uh, he wanted it, build like a counterculture. Um, have a more um, uh, different way of preaching and teaching Buddhism um, <laughs> but the fact this is this is <laughs> great. So actually, these fallacies are actually fertility symbols because he was um, because of his very promiscuous
0: ways, he was also called the fertility saint. Oh, I love it. He they straight up put him into sainthood. Oh my god, this is just story just got better and better and so better. So this
2: is this is what happens when colonizers don't f- come and up uh, your religion
0: because of their morality and cues so yeah you're right Papu that is exactly what happens <laughs> uh I'm just wondering uh, what is the plan for when you and your innocent mummy are walking around Bhutan and you happen to run into these I'm is sure there, we're you gonna, plan the talk in your mind I'm sure <laughs> like,
2: we're gonna have like I don't I guess I'm like 30 plus though my mom kind of thinks uh, that I'm a virgin which um, All right? <laughs> uh, yes, it reminds me of the story which I think I've shared before of how she found my <laughs> diary where I've basically spoken about having a one night stand and then I kind of pretended that I made up that story, and she hi, Bhagwan commented about how good of a writer I was that I could just bring that out of my imagination I was like yeah yeah that's how I am <laughs> but anyways I, I and your, <laughs> your mom believed yeah, you right she did. this she totally is the best part her me.
0: mother believed her she
2: did believe me bless her heart and I love her with all my heart uh, but yeah sometimes you know love you do, auntie yeah <laughs> um, I, I think it will be fine because uh, you know th- hopefully we will have a guide who would explain to us uh, the meaning behind it and yeah, if not, then
0: I'll tell her. Yeah. I look forward to everybody keeping a straight face. I want photos. I'm going to get you a souvenir from there. I'm going to get
2: you a big nice <laughs> yes. souvenir. I hope I'm not stopped at the customs though, you know. They might think
0: I'm just carrying a dildo or something. Uh, this is for everybody who wants <laughs> to bring illegal stuff in and out of countries. Wrap it up in a black uh, garbage bag. Because okay. apparently that prevents uh, anything from being seen in the x-ray okay. machines. It's hard to find plastic in that place, you know, because uh, they're super into No, the... take it with oh, you. right. Take it with you, right? And then bring all your phallic-shaped souvenirs and dump it in that black bag <laughs> and then wrap it all up. <laughs> And yeah, Papu, this is great. I look forward to your photographs and I want your mom and you, you know, in the photo. And uh, this will be great. I'll take a picture with a giant (laughs) and send it to you on,
2: maybe I'll Snapchat it with a filter so that. It has a dog face on it.
0: Oh, God, stop. You're so disgusting. Why am I more mortified by this than you're not? Like, why Why am I blushing? Papu Pup- seems way more gleeful about this whole thing than me. I'm a little more... You know what? Because I didn't have time to process this. I'm just looking at the art right now, and I'm just like a little like she's not kidding guys like you guys need to go on google and just write down phallus paintings in bhutan and uh, by the way it's p-h-a-l-l-u-s i don't know how to spell so i wrote f um, <laughs> yeah. yeah there's um <laughs> there's a lot of pain, and it's uh it's very much so there um yeah guys this is great Papu, there's candles. You can buy candles and burn them. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck with. Good luck with that.
2: Yeah, but the best part is, is that uh, we are for one day. We're staying at the Taj, and I'm so excited Ooh. to live in that property. They have an
0: indoor heated pool. And, you know, it's a small pleasures that made me happy. Dude, enjoy. That sounds very, very luxurious. It's going to be a wonderful vacation. I'm actually incredibly jealous yeah. of all the experiences you're going to mm. Indoor pool, penis-shaped art. Bitch, this I wish you were phenomenal. here. <laughs> we would totally. I would have loved <laughs> to go on. The amount of chiski pop art, we would have tagged that place up, <laughs> Chisky pop and penises. I want to contribute art to this. Yeah, I feel you know, like we could it's a have, cause uh, that we should be a part of. Uh,
2: all, all those uh, very uh, witty and uh, sassy quotes that you write, I'm sure you can make a bunch of them. Like, when you got, find a good dick, never let it go and <laughs> hug one of those paintings.
0: <laughs> totally. Uh, one thing that's very interesting and mortifying at the same time is every single one of the paintings actually has like... Uh, a, a graphic of a sperm also coming out of so it. They're so they're very like anatomically like, accurate, you know? They want you to... It's it's not just like the lingam that we got accustomed to in India. The lingam, I feel, yeah. is very like... You know, it's not a very uh, obvious thing it's, of it's what we are... It's a very modern, abstract version, whereas they are more realists, right. not abstract. Uh, no, in Bhutan, <laughs> there's no holding back in Bhutan. They are just like, this is... This is it. And there's hair, like there's hair in the paintings.
2: Yeah. We're not talking about euphemisms. We are talking about
0: giant erections. Cool. All right. So, this is a wonderful way for us to start out the podcast. <laughs> I hope everybody is looking forward. We should all be taking trips to Bhutan, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> right there. <laughs> If you have to tell me what the slogan is of the country. Huh? Now I'm dying to know. I'm sorry. You know, no disrespect to Bhutan. I love the Bhutanese food and the people and blah, blah, blah. So that's awesome, Papu. I'm very excited for you. I'm jealous and excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You. So you're going next week, right? Yes. I
2: will be gone uh, from the 20th to
0: 27th. So, yay. So, you, girl, you'll be leaving on 420. Yes, uh, for those of our listeners who do not know what we're referring to, that is the 20th of April, a.k.a. the very auspicious day of uh, (laughs) goddess Mary Jane that we all worship. Mm -hmm. We'll be celebrating with a lot of smoking and stuff.
2: Yeah, and recently you told me about uh, you've had an adventure. You tried gummy
0: bears for the first time. Yeah, no, so I had like a lot of bad, like I had really bad anxiety. I was getting triggered like at work just from, you know, work stress. And that was like just making me very anxious and I wasn't sleeping for two nights. And then my friend was like, dude, get some gummy worms. Like, you know, Mm cannabis-filled gummy worms. And um, I just took one uh, for one night and I went, like, I saw the future, first of all. (laughs) on this adventure first I met, first I melted into the bed and then i went to the future and i saw the future and it's great purple future's great looks great i'm very excited for the future then i took a trip to the another to another dimension and i saw some cave paintings that were changing color oh my god and it's uh, beautiful yeah and but then i slept i went to sleep for like about 12 hours wow. and i woke up completely refreshed panic Anxiety free, all body pain gone, and I was like smiling. Wow! I mean, it sucks that cannabis can get like such a bad rep because it has so many healing properties, as as Indians have learned from centuries ago. Mm. Yeah, so cannabis has a lot of medicinal properties. So 420 is basically to celebrate this wonderful medicinal herb.
2: By the way, this is something that I would like to tell our listeners. Uh, in Bhutan. Um, Wheat kind of just grows over there, and in fact, the the people uh, over there, the the villagers, they actually feed it to their cattle, uh, to their pigs, uh, just because to improve appetite. Uh, up until recently, like they didn't know they could s-
0: smoke that shit. You're telling me they're like living in forests of, of marijuana, and they've no idea like of not, the yeah, the you know, magic. Hey, that,
2: You know, it's not um, uh, it's not
0: uh, smoked or like enjoyed like. Um, like we do or revered rather yeah. yeah they they take it very matter of fact like yes it grows here and duh of course it makes the animals more hungry <laughs> we just happy you know more weed equals happier animals duh <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were here though Papu uh, we could have had our own little episode of Broad City and celebrated because there's going to be a festival here and you know what this <laughs> is a perfect
2: topic to talk about that because Broad City essentially celebrates uh, adult friendships and especially female friendships um, which is so
0: important but Broad City is perfect because it shows you what life is like for thirty something women uh, in a big city just trying to figure it out yeah. so this week's topic was suggested by you so I want you to tell us like why specifically like did it resonate with you this week like why did you feel like you wanted to talk about it finally? I feel that uh,
2: making friends is something that I've always struggled with ever since I was young I I was one of those people who would kind of spend my uh, recess in a library just reading. Or, um, you know, one of my earliest memories uh, was me walking in, a, in, I was in kindergarten, I'm walking around in the playground, and uh, I'm just talking to my um, shadow and uh, just telling it that, oh, you're, you're never going to leave me, you know, you're always going to be my friend. So, my first friend was my shadow. <laughs> it, that's both
0: sad and adorable at the same time. I don't know I don't, I know, right? I don't know how to feel Papu. <laughs> that is actually a very sweet memory. You should write a little story yeah. about that. Oh. Oh, and did your shadow, was your shadow like, yeah, girl, I'm your friend for life, yo. I never leave you. It's my perfect
2: sidekick. You know, it can, you know, it knows how to like move with the way I move. And but
0: it's kind of also a little metaphorical because it's almost like you looking over and being like, I'm my best friend, which is very true, guys. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> you know, that is so true. You
2: need to be your best friend, but at the same time, you need to have someone to kind of hold you when you're not feeling like, the best version of yourself and I'm so glad to have that in you and as you grow older you you realize that I mean for me it became a little bit easier I was less socially awkward I was a bit better at making friends but um, it's particularly harder as you uh, leave college school or anything because you know you you have your own set of uh, responsibilities jobs So I I want to be talking about that, you know, how we can uh, make new friends and keep the the connections that we made earlier.
0: What has your experience been making friends? Did you find it easier? When I was really young, I used to, one of the first people I was forced to hang out with was this very spoiled brat, uh, friend, family friend that my mother insisted I hang out with. And she was horrible to me and she was a bully to me. So Mm. like my first friendships that were forming were not very positive (laughs) or enjoyable. So I ended up actively avoiding Mm -hmm. people because I just didn't find people very nice so that was my struggle. I couldn't find anybody to get along with. But they were attracted to you, so they wanted to be friends to you. I'm not sure what it was. Like, I feel like those were times when I was younger that where every time I would go, my parents would just force me to hang out with other kids. And it would always be like, you're a child. This is a child. Hang out. You know, like if you go to family <laughs> dinners or your your parents would go out to, to you know, those were the how the friendships were formed. Like, just like mm-hmm. here, meet these people, be friends. Or in school, it would be like forced settings of being friends and I'm not a very I learned from a yeah shake hands (laughs) yeah and from a young age I learned I'm not much of a people person so I didn't really enjoy Mm -hmm. meeting people I guess starting from a young age I didn't friendships were not very positive experiences for me until I got older is that very dark what a dark freaking way for me to talk about it I'm always jealous of of kids who actually have stories that were like we met when we were four years old and we're still best friends till today and I'm always like geez like I mean I have those stories I, I do have friends that I grew yeah. up with in school um but again I I can, uh, but for me, the difference between those friendships versus adult friendships is those are just environmental settings. Like you were put in a box, and we were with these other mm. people, and it was like, yeah, of course, we're going to be friends. But when you're an adult, you don't get to be put into that yeah. box. You you kind of have to venture out in the universe mm. and find people. No, I I do find that as we get older. Um, we get more tired of just being around people and, and people that we don't really connect with or, or you know, people that we just put up with. Because I think in mm-hmm. your 20s, we just have more energy and you're still figuring out the world and you have a tendency to put up with more things. But as you get older, you're just like, no, I just want to have good relationships. I don't want to just have these like, you know, ese kind of... Yeah. Pe- people that are just in and out of my life. And for the sake of saving face, I'm nice to them and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, um, I kind of got rid of a lot of my childhood friends. I got them out of my life. I that was a big purge. I had a huge purge. Mm. Um, And and I think that, that now that I'm older, I want to make sure I only have like people I care about, genuine friends that you can, you know, that you can go to like, hey, yeah. man, my mom and dad are sick. I need your help. Like those are the friends you need in your life as you get older. In fact, one particular study conducted at Harvard says that having no friends can be harmful to your health, as harmful as smoking, Papu. Did you know that? That is interesting. What does it correlate? How does that work out? Well, basically, researchers discovered that a link between loneliness... And the levels of a blood clotting protein can, which leads to heart attacks and stroke. So there's basically a connection between, a link between both of that. So that what happens okay. is that when you're isolated socially, your body in turn goes into fight or flight mode. This in turn increases the levels of okay. fibrinogen protein because the body is anticipating an injury or blood loss.
2: That's so... Wow. Wow freaking weird okay. so basically this is like when you are just by yourself uh, you're kind of lonely and you don't have people around you uh, you're you 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 tend to think that you have this anxiety buildup which your body thinks that it's in some kind of uh, trouble. It's being under, it's being attacked, yeah, you know, because it's completely isolated, basically, and right? In, in order to recover from that, it just produces this protein, which will help uh, in in case of any attack to, uh, or by increasing, um, you know, uh, by reducing damage or blood loss. So, so basically, not having friends can make you sick? Yeah, well, it would clot your arteries and uh, kind of make you sick. But apart from the physiological um, effects, it's also a lot of psychological also. Um, and that's a very interesting correlation and
0: well, the researchers compared the levels of the fibrinogen with the numbers of friends and family in a person's social network, and they found this correlation. And okay. they found that as the number of social connections fell, the level of blood clotting uh, the level of the blood clotting protein rose. You know, I, uh,
2: this is so much a case of um, the way we live right now because I feel that like we are increasingly being more isolated as people. Uh, because of social media and the way, um, you know, we, we're essentially leading very isolated lives than our parents did before. Um, at least in the past, you were kind of connected through, now you don't even have to call people, you just text them. So you can go for days uh, without hearing a voice, a human voice, actually. So. Can I
0: tell you about something that I came across the other yeah, day? Um, sure. It's a Japanese term called hikikomori. What is that? Hikikomori, mean? which means uh, in Japanese, hikikomori is defined as pulling inward and it's being confined. And it's actually a phenomenon. That has mm-hmm. happened in Japan, uh, where adolescents, adults that basically withdraw from social life and seek extreme degrees of isolation and confinement. It's it's just that more and more now people are being more, recru- more reclusive than ever. And in Japan, it's a straight up epidemic it's like it's Mm. an actual word for this called hikikomori these are loners that are today's modern day hermits that have no friends no social structure any or or anything like that so this voluntary social confinement yeah you know we're so glued on the internet we're just texting all of that so we don't feel like that absolute need for a near connection but we Mm. do need it we just it's just not easy to find or get to and you have to try harder to um
2: you know because i feel before we had all of these other structures are based around our way of living like you had like um um all these other groups tertiary groups that you were in and right now you could be working remotely if you have a certain job which is not office based um you could be you know you could you could effectively just live your life without having any human interaction you don't really have to go to a store you can buy stuff online Um, so if you want you could just live by yourself and um, if you really have that inclination where it could be depression it could be anything where it takes uh, a lot of energy to get out of a certain um, routine that you've set yourself in it can be particularly harder because uh, modern day living
0: makes it very easy to be reclusive. Especially because we're so tired all the time. You know, you you work, um, you want to make all. I do this. I'm famous for making plans and then cancelling them. Because I'm flake. just like, yeah, I totally <laughs> want. To. I know. I'm always like that because I'm so excited to hang out with friends. And but when the time comes, I'm like, dude, I'm fried. You get anxiety. Or I yeah. just want to go home and sleep and be by myself. You know, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I've been working all day and I need to recharge. And yeah, it's so easy to become reclusive you know and it's harder to make friends like so especially for me as somebody who's like moved to a whole new country you know and mm-hmm. had to start from scratch this has been so hard yeah and and uh,
2: like you mentioned you know when you move to a completely different country that is its own set of problems and um, where do you even start so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, in this episode about, Different avenues that you can explore and how you can go about making new friends. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, you know what? I think when uh, a lot of literature that we come across really talks more about making friendships do- during childhood and adolescence, um, but there isn't a lot about how to make friends when you're older, you know. There would be literature on how to get along well with your co-workers, how to, um, you know, find a partner. I mean, like romantic interests or stuff like
0: that, but... Um, nothing on friends. Yeah, you have so many dating apps that we... we That's true. It, and there's, like, Bumble is, like, one way to try and meet friends, but it still doesn't work. But even also in, like, media, like, you don't really find, like, friendships about where you meet, like... You're yeah, so true. You know, they're always, like, going on... We we met yeah. when we were young, and we're going to go find ourselves again while we're going through a midlife crisis, you know? Like, <laughs> all those movies. But there's nothing about... Except for, I can think off the top of my head, that movie I Love You, Man. Have you watched that? With, like, this... Uh, hollywood movie no i have not with paul rudd oh yes yes okay and um, rashida jones and it's about uh, the movie Mm -hmm. the premise is about rashida jones is getting married and she's got all these bridesmaids and the guy she's ending up with he's just not got any Mm -hmm. guy friends he doesn't have a best man you know, because he doesn't have any good friends. So the whole movie is <laughs> the premises about him trying to find somebody that he can make his best man. And it was about finding a best friend as an adult and how difficult it mm-hmm. is. It really, it was hard. So you guys should mm-hmm. definitely check it yeah, out. Yeah, that's, you know, I think uh, that
2: movie significantly highlighted the fact about how for men, it's more harder if you don't have those childhood connections. I feel it's more harder for men because women... women you know we if we meet and if we spend enough time we'll be like oh my god we like bffs stuff like that you know we'll just start talking about let's say rupaul's drag race and totally bond over that and think that oh my god we are bffs whereas for men it's you know they're more reticent about calling someone you know that they're Best friend. I think it's some kind of some
0: way why why they they are. It's just uh, well, straight men. I think straight men in particular kind of have this like awkwardness and just in general and just forming close connections. You know, like God forbid they deem too gay or something silly like that. Yeah,
2: and like I said, you know, when you are in school, you're you kind of have share the same timetable, have the same problems like the exams and all of these are very conducive to friendships because you're going through the same struggles. But uh, w- when you grow older, you
0: have your own life paths. You can choose whatever you want. So it's... Yeah. Uh, you have choice. I think that's the biggest thing is having a choice. And Papu, actually, you and I are a big example of adult friendships yes. that work. And uh, that is something that um,
2: a, a lot depended on um, one of us uh, trying to make sure that this happened and it was mostly you and it's all thanks to you because, (laughs) yeah, you really... (laughs) You really made sure that we were really good friends so yeah before I got my groove on
0: (laughs) I had a girl crush it was because I was so okay I love the girls that I grew up with I have some really close friends from when I was in school that I really really love but like I said like we were put into a box and we are friends but we don't have anything in common we got older and we Mm -hmm. ran out of things to have in common I like I love them I want to see where they're going in life I want to see their children grow Um, but I don't have anything to say to them and that sucks. I have nothing to talk to them mm. about. And then that's when I met Papu and I was like, Oh God, she likes a lot of the same things I do. Mm. You know, like alarm bells are going off mm. in a good way because it was like, I was craving a, a, a friend that I could talk to about stuff. I didn't really have that. And I, I think that's where adult adult yeah. friendships like get so important because you, you need to the more you become a person and you figure out who you are, the more you want somebody to share that with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not just like a life partner. I have my boyfriend. I adore him. We get along great. But I think with female friendships, each friend in your adult life is an extension of your personality too, right? Yeah. That's true. A little bit. Yeah, and, you know, once once you find that person
2: that you have that unique connection with in order for it to grow to the next level, uh, you need to give it time. So there's this very interesting study that was uh, conducted that found a correlation between the number of hours we spend with a particular person and how it determines how close a friend we are to them. So according to this study, it, it says it takes about 50 hours of interaction to move from acquaintance to casual friend and about 90 hours I could see that to move from casual friend to friend and uh, 200 more hours to qualify as best friend I like this uh, the same study <laughs> yeah 200 hours so put in your 200 hours to graduate to best friend status <laughs> and then you can exchange 200 your- hours is a long time yeah so that's the um, how much is that if you divide it into like even days 24
0: like I'm not good at math, yeah, Papu. Yeah. If somebody who's good at math do <laughs> Both the math of us. for us. That's please. why we're
2: doing this. <laughs> 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 okay. So, mm-hmm. the same study said that the people are, people on an average have about 5. So in for an average uh, a person has about 5 best friends, uh, about 15, mm, I can see. Yeah, that. 15 people as good friends and about 50 friends. So 150 is the rough limit for the number of meaningful friend-like relationships our brain seems to manage. So what do you think about
0: those numbers? Do, you, do Does it match with the number of people in your life? I think so. I, you know, I have, yeah, I have like a couple of friends. Each of them does. I have like one close friend who's like my Maharashtrian friend, <laughs> you know, my childhood Maharashtrian friend. And we talk about really Maharashtrian things. And that connection is very strong. Like she's, you know, like... Almost like a sister. So that that is one extension and yeah, I can totally count about five solid friends. Yeah. That I can think of. You are of course also in there. You are like the mm. the person that I think gets me, you know, like in terms of emotionally. Like I cannot have this uh like you I cannot talk about my emotions mm. to my other yeah, friends.
2: I mean, like this. Same with you, you know. I can tell you all the embarrassing stuff that I would never ever dare. Even put in my library, Um, not to put in my book, also in my diary,
0: because for fear my mom will find it. Auntie, (laughs) keep your hands to yourself and your eyes to yourself. Yeah. No, it's true. Like if I were to talk to my other friends, like my other best friends and tell them I'm depressed, they would all be like, I don't think they would know how to react, <laughs> you know, but Papu's the friend where I can open up that side of myself too. Yeah. I couldn't do that with others, with my others, but that's a good number. But what about you though? Do you, do you also agree? Um, I would say, yeah,
2: around best friends, around that number, um, 150 is the total number. So I'm, um, my number of total people that I know is, I think a little way lesser, I, I, I don't... 50 friends is a lot of friends. No, it says 150 is the total of acquaintances from acquaintance level to friend oh, level. Oh, sorry. So, um, oh, 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 15 sorry. Uh, is the number of good friends and 50 is uh, just friends and acquaintances. So, so 150 is a that. rough
0: limit of the number of meaningful relationships our brains seem to manage. That's a lot, though. Um, I think uh, around around
2: that number, I think I, I do have a few slots open for making more friends uh, but you know what you said something very interesting you said that um, there are certain friends that you hang out be- when you want your certain dose of that like you've in friends you can you know I'm sure you have like your other artist friends
0: who you hang out with yeah artist friends like I have one very close friend who's an artist who I we both have a very competitive but loving you know mm-hmm. really relationship when it comes to our art you know our career wise and you know that is very important and yeah each person kind of plays that role Um, and that can feed into that part of myself. It
2: helps you nourish that part, you know. You want to just talk about movies or books. The same here, I think, you know, if I want to go watch movies, I know a particular friend whom I'm going to call and... um, uh, and it's important to have these and uh, take um, the time.
0: I think the biggest thing is taking the time to find these adult friendships, Papu. So, so how do how do people get past this hurdle? Yeah, uh, like people who are who are in there. So, what if what if their listeners are listening who have just moved to a new city, mm-hmm. or there people who just got married and now they need to find new married friends, mm-hmm. or or people who are now single and all their friends around them are getting married, so they need single friends, or recently divorced people need more divorced friends. Like how how can people find new adult friendships? that are going to nourish them as they get older in life?
2: Yeah, so this is the first part uh, of our uh, conversation is how to make new friends. The beauty of the internet and the apps is it's you can use it to connect to people you may otherwise not meet in your day-to-day life. Uh, I think Meetup uh, is, uh, is a great way to
0: meet very interest-based uh, group of people um, it, so, this is the website called meetup.com, right? It's an online website and it's all over the world. They have chapters in every city around the world. I'm in Vancouver. I actually have also participated yeah, in Meetup. And if you, it could be any interest
2: based group like for you as an artist, uh, or it could be a certain um, uh, life event or something. You know, you're just married, new in the city, uh, you could be going yeah. through a particular illness also if uh, and you could meet uh, people who are going through their same struggles Um, so yeah meetup is very specific yeah it's very specific and uh, you can always just you know um, say yes to those possibilities if you're that kind of person who's like apprehensive about not knowing like how is someone going to be I would say just take the first step you know this year has just kind of It's been three months in and the way you play this year is now is the time to make that change and take the first step and say yes, because you have all these months ahead where you can actually work through and uh, make significant changes and enrich your life. So I would say if you're new to the city, um,
0: just check out meetup.com. I actually very specifically ended like uh, attended an, an artist meetup. Yeah uh, and that's where I met my, my current boyfriend. Oh oh. Wow. Oh, so see there you go. Yeah, <laughs> so you know you actually met some really. I met some really weird people, but you know it's a little better than Tinder. I know a lot of people use Tinder to find friends when they come to the city too, but it's really? there's, yeah, there's no pressure for a hookup. It's like more you know you really go interest based, mm-hmm. so you kind of just meet very nice like-minded people. Uh, I've attended some board game meetups that are really fun. Those are my favorite, okay. where you just meet like people who want to just play board games together. So it's very mm-hmm. nice. I, I like it. I made a lot of new friends after moving here.
2: Uh, for me, I have used Bumble. Uh, they have the BFF option on Bumble where you can switch your profile and um, it, the BFF option shows you other cool girls, you know, around you. Um, you know, you can meet up for, it could be uh, space or just to grab coffee. Um, I met this one person, this one girl, she's Syrian and um, had so interesting and it's just um, it opens up uh, you to people who you otherwise would not meet if you're in a very like your job does not involve a lot of interactions. Again, I did not put in my R's uh, so I did not graduate to uh, a level which is good friend. (laughs) Oh, so she stayed an acquaintance. Yeah, she stayed an acquaintance. We are like Instagram friends so I know what's kind of in her life at least visibly like what she wants to show but still it was nice to have made that connection at least and I also think that um, you know if you are uh, part of certain um, uh, community activities that's a great way to um, you know make friends if you sign up for if you religious, then I'm sure if there are certain religious chapters in your own, in your new place, you know, you can join a choir group. Like a lot of people, girls that I know kind of like that, you know, the singing and the social aspect of that. So that's one way you can make uh, new friends when you are in
0: a new place. But I think for me also workplaces are a great place to meet um, friends as well. Yeah. Um, not always. This is, I'm actually at a job where the first time I really enjoy hanging out with my coworkers, but for the most part, you know, sometimes you just want to go to work and go home. But if you're lucky enough yeah. to find a really nice uh, place where the people you work with are really equally awesome then yes definitely take the time to befriend them and you know try hanging out with them outside of the work area to see if you have anything in common
2: i think in the beginning it can be a little scary like i know um sometimes um because i'm not very naturally good at it i already start freaking out in my head i'm like um okay i i invited this person over if they want to hang out what if i run out of stuff to Say, what if that's like my most common fear—that I'll run out of stuff to talk about. B- Papu wants to be interesting at all
0: times. God forbid, she's not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in my head, I run a certain roster, like a rough roster of stuff that I, I can like, you know, like those little uh, fish bowls, like remove the chit and
0: start <laughs> mental fishbowl <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain you have a list of things too and a real life chit bowl papu i'm certain this exists somewhere i do
2: pre- that's how i prepare for my dates you know let's uh, <laughs> alcohol does help though alcohol really helps <laughs> yes, it does. Alcohol
0: is a great way to make it's friends. It's a lubricant for friendship. <laughs> it is. It really is because I'm very introverted. As somebody who's so introverted, uh, I need to have some booze to lighten me up and, and kind of help me go in. It's What's it called? No, I don't know if this is a racist term. Dutch courage? <laughs> Isn't that a term it's that they cur- say? Is Reverse racism is not
2: a thing. So uh, if okay, you, fine. If you're, All right. If you're being discriminatory for something which is too white,
0: they don't suffer any consequences. Of All right, fine racism <laughs> all right yes so dutch courage um, definitely is a term which implies that you have a little alcohol in your system and this will loosen you up and allow you to kind of go out there and make friends and because you're an adult you can drink so drink responsibly don't go too wild don't go spilling out your secrets to the whole world but uh, yeah. you know find a way to to let yourself get loose enough so you can not feel so like as i get older i have a lot of cringe attacks you know i read oh. over moments where i'm like oh my god i can't believe yes. i said that oh my god this person's gonna hate me so you know try and limit that as much as you can don't stress too much you know if you're trying to go out there mm-hmm. and make friends it's okay everybody's nobody knows what they're doing basically when it comes yeah. to making friends there's no like a rule book i just think like yeah. if it's easy i think it starts with the whole like if it's easy if you just meet somebody and you just naturally get along with them then then keep trying yeah. keep keep going and 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 trying out like with Papu you know I I met her and she was like very quiet and I was like no I really like you so I kept at it I would say uh, allow yourself to be a little bit
2: uh, vulnerable and open about uh, things about your fears and because I think that's what creates uh, deeper uh, relationships where you're just open and saying that you know what this you share your deepest fears. You're just like you do when you were you you know you were young and a teenager. And you had all that time during your summer vacations to just like sit together and get bored and talk about guys and about your fears, about your future. Um, you can still talk about that, and that just uh, gives the other person a much uh, better understanding of. You don't have to put up a front because that's what makes you more human when you talk about these things with um with the with someone you want to be better friends with so allow yourself that uh the, the capacity to be vulnerable with them so yeah that's that um
0: i hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, our segment this week yes everybody um so i hope that you take the time to f- form those adult friendships and nurture those friendships and grow them And yes, good luck with that. And yeah, we are ready now, Papu, to jump into our segment with the writer Mimi Mondal. This is in celebration of Dalit History Month. So Papu and I wanted to continue the celebration. So we thought that we would have a writer on our uh, show this week. And her name is Mimi Mondal. And Mimi Mondal is a Dalit writer of speculative fiction and social justice nonfiction. And the first Hugo Award nominee from India... Her first book, The Luminescent Threads, Connections to Octavia Butler, edited along with Alexandra Pierce, is currently a finalist for the Hugo Awards 2018 and long-listed for the Locus Awards 2018. So between 2017 and 2018, she worked as the poetry and reprint editor of Uncanny Magazine, a twice Hugo Award-winning magazine of science fiction and fantasy. So, Papu, for our listeners who don't know this, what are the Hugo Awards?
2: So, the Hugo Award is a set of literary awards, which is given for best science fiction or fantasy works. And I think a lot of really famous, I know that Neil Gaiman has won a few. And,
0: um, yes, it's a very big, prestigious.
2: Yeah, so the award is named after Hugo Gemsback who found the uh, who founded the pioneering science fiction magazine amazing stories and who is considered as one of the fathers of science fiction genre so uh, we're going to talk about uh, science fiction and speculative fiction with Mimi a lot more and i would encourage you guys to check out her website also because she beautifully explains uh, how um, science fiction started as uh, as a counterculture, before it became what it is right now. All right. Well,
0: we are very, very excited to have her on our show. She's one of the smartest people that Papu and I have ever talked to. Like she Hody has cow, five Mimi master degrees, right? Four or five. Mike, I don't. I don't even have one. <laughs> Four. I don't know one is one is a lot I was intimidated talking to her so uh, yeah
2: she's very passionate about what she uh, in the in the genre and what she works uh, with so you can like hear it from her recommendations and what she has to say about it all right Papu so shall we jump into the interview let's go mm-hmm.
0: everybody. Now let's begin with the interview. We are so so excited to have Mimi Mondal here with us on the show. Uh, We brought her on uh, to celebrate Dalit History Month and we were so so excited to have her on here. So Mimi thank you so much for being here with us on our show. We are so excited to have you and so excited that you could take the time out to be here with us. Thank you. So Mimi, you are officially India's first ever Hugo Award nominee. So please tell us what it's been like getting all this attention from everyone around the globe. What has it been like for you?
1: Yeah, it basically means that I can't sleep because there are people in all time zones trying to talk to me. But it's like, it's not that overwhelming otherwise, it's just that I haven't slept in a long time.
0: Do you feel nervous? Or are you just thinking like, you know, it's about time, damn it?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. It feels a little surprising because, I mean, I've been doing this work and I've been like doing, I've been saying these things that I've like forever and no one really listened to me, which is fine. I mean, like, you know, you get used to the response that you get. Like I have three master's degrees, still nobody really listened to me. And so I was like, fine, I'm working in this like very niche area that very few people are into, especially from India. And that's how it is. Like, I'm okay with that. I like it. I do it because I like it. So um, I'm not accustomed to a lot of people trying to talk to me. And yeah, so that's kind of unsettling. Like, it's the same work that I've always done. It's just that a lot of people are suddenly, like, asking questions about it. So can you tell
2: us a little about your journey as a Dalit speculative fiction writer?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, I haven't so far written Specifically Dalit speculative fiction, though I'm trying. Like I started trying to do that. I'm trying to teach myself what that means. So keep an eye out for a story called So It Was Foretold. It's coming out in Fireside magazine. It's an online magazine and it'll come out on the first of May, I think. Okay. All right. So I read that story at the New York Public Library in September. Um that's that's like the first time I tried to write any Dalit speculative fiction. Other than that I mean, what I've written, I guess, is mostly general Indian speculative fiction. So a lot of history, a lot of local mythologies and folklore from like like different regions of India. So like that description on my website so far, it means a speculative fiction who hap- you know, fiction writer who happens to be Dalit, because for that I I think that representation, that acknowledgement is important, and especially for younger people from our community who are told that you know. Being artists is not something people like us do. So I think that's important.
0: So can you tell us about your story as someone from the Dalit community and why you believe that Dalit History Month is so important?
1: Um, So the story itself is a very short story. It's exactly a thousand words. So there isn't much to summarize about it. It's quite summarized. Um, So about Dalit History Month, I actually came across it last year so this is like my second year like watching it and um so I grew up very urban and I grew up like extremely un-Dalit in Calcutta and I like history but I, I never knew the history of a community as a child you know I, did, I didn't even know what being Dalit meant like even that I was one and it was like really weird it, I did not really feel like my other friends But there was like this sense of inferiority, and there was like this shame, which was like, which was very instilled into me. But it was like this unanchored thing, like it's ahistoric. Like somebody, like my parents taught taught me that we are inferior, but nobody really explained Mm. to me why. Like there was something strange about fate. It was like something like you made bad karma in your past life, and you pay for being humiliated in this one. You know, and I think this is why Dalit History Month is important. And this was what it also did for me. Like our school books in India teach us nothing about Dalits, even the Dalits ourselves. Like, you know, we just know the name of Ambedkar, but not even the community behind him. And you never hear of any of his other work apart from the Constitution. Like you just know that this is that person who made the Constitution. You don't know anything about his other work. So yeah, this history. Dalit History Month is doing something very important in, like, bringing us together as a people and giving us a history.
0: Well said, and yeah, Papu and I really wanted to celebrate the up because we definitely believe that it's not talked about enough. So when Papu and I were looking for guests to bring on the show, I was just on Twitter, on Google, just desperately trying to find somebody who can talk about this. And then we came across your work. You defined yourself as a punk Dalit girl. And instantly Papu and I were just attracted to this okay. because it totally gave us an aura of like rebelliousness mm-hmm. or like this alternative mm-hmm. culture side of Desi culture that we love to talk about. Thank you. So can you tell us more about the punk aspect of being a punk Dalit girl and what that
1: means to you so um i mean that thing that that that's on my twitter bio and i think i put that like a month ago or something which is like something really lighthearted that i came up with and i mean it's been quoted like quite a few times and me already and i was like wow i did not know if people would take it that seriously it's not like a brand or anything but i mean if i have to expand on that i mean it also has something to do with the history of the punk culture so, you know usually when you hear the word punk you think of genre of rock music or like a way of dressing or an attitude right but there's also like there's more to the history of that like punk it's like it's a coll- colloquial term in English in England specifically like it it kind of means a working-class young man with a cocky attitude like you know in hindi you'd say chokra or something like that right and so the punk culture the original punk culture it came up as a rebellion to the mainstream like the respectable quote unquote respectable mainstream culture so that kind of like very striking clothing is also part of that it's meant to be offensive to conservative and quote unquote respectable people now in science fiction so there there are these subgenres called cyberpunk or steampunk you may have heard of them right
0: oh yes of course yeah so yeah
1: so these genres when they use the word punk, they're not so much using the music, but they're using that rebellious sense of the word punk. So these genres are doing something that the respectable mainstream doesn't allow. right? Yes, right. So from cyberpunk and steampunk, there are many other more recent subgenres in science fiction and fantasy which have that same punk ending. So there are terms like you know diesel punk, there are terms like myth punk, there's silk punk, which is supposed to be science fiction and fantasy set in the Far East Asian cultures. So what all these are doing is that they're telling really brave, really subversive stories, and they're not being ashamed of being rejected by the conservatives. So yeah, so that meaning of the word punk as a Dalit person, that really resonates with me. So, you know, that that's what it really mm-hmm. means when I use the word punk. Yeah and uh, so you described
2: all of these different uh, types of punk like cyberpunk steampunk and uh, these are kind of flavors uh, there are also there in speculative fiction or science fiction uh, can you tell us tell our listeners uh, what is speculative fiction and why you chose this genre to write in
1: um, so actually speculative fiction just this term itself it's a term that Margaret Atwood came up with because she was too cool to admit that she was writing fantasy.
0: I think Papu's heart just fluttered <laughs> when he said Margaret Atwood.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but she she's also largely part of the mainstream fiction establishment. She doesn't really hang out with science fiction and fantasy people. So, and science fiction and fantasy, at least like when it was created in the West, right? Mostly in the UK and the USA. These are genres that grew mostly in the early 20th century, like the early to mid 20th century and they grew out of rejection from the mainstream literature and it's at at the root of it it's a very deeply class thing like if you remember mainstream literature like if you did English at college or something um, mainstream literature in the early 20th century is all high modernism right? Mm-hmm. And high modernism is extremely elitist it didn't even represent all white people. You know, it it only represented the very elite, the very university educated. And often like the same people were traditionally very wealthy. So these are, this is like very heavy, slow moving literature. It's mostly about the lives of rich people. It's full of literary references that no one, if you haven't gone to university, if you're not highly educated, especially in the arts, you will not understand those references. You know? And so this is where science fiction and fantasy, they kind of diverged from the mainstream. Like all the people who did not meet all those criteria, right? And so science fiction and fantasy were telling like these fast moving plot driven stories. And their authors, their authors were not included in those circles. Like they were not considered respectable enough for the mainstream literary people. And sometimes it was also, it was like really because of their race and their social class, rather than the stories they were writing. Like, you know, a lot of early science fiction, like science fiction literally, it was created by Jewish immigrants to America. And at that time, Jewish people were not strictly considered white, right? Like even the person who um, the Hugo Awards are named after, right? I mean, his name is Hugo Gernsback. And um, all the people who created Superman, Spider-Man, like all these, many of these, most of these people were Jewish people, you know? So it, it's literally the right, Jewish person's right. American dream. And I mean, the fun trivia, you know, it's the same about movies. Technically, it's the same about movies. Like nowadays, when people say that, you know, Hollywood is this Jewish conspiracy, that was kind of because the Jewish people were all sent to Hollywood, like not sent to Hollywood, like cinema was like this very low bro new media, you know, like the same things that people said about Internet media when Internet media happened became a thing, Right. The cinema was not considered respectable enough when it first started. And so it's not as respectable as theater. It's not real art. So that's where all the Jewish people and that's where all the poor people go. You know, like the shady people, people who are not respectable. And we know what happened off that, right? And so in science fiction and fantasy, like between science fiction and fantasy and mainstream literature, that divide still largely exists. Like, you will never see a science fiction and fantasy work go for the booker, you know? And so that's why people like Margaret Atwood, they don't write science fiction and fantasy. They write something else that sounds cooler. And and that kind of history, like, that kind of history really resonated with me. Because, I mean, I've always been very bothered by the elitist roots of literature. You know, I don't come from an elite background. My parents don't understand, like highbrow references and science fiction and fantasy it's really very much the people's art it's what a large number of people enjoy you know and and so it eventually like it touches a lot more people and it's like influences culture in a way that mainstream literature will never do that so that that's something I found really really exciting about it
2: so uh, Mimi you've spoken about uh, you know studying in India so you did your schooling in formative schooling in india and then you moved to the us and uh, can you tell us your about your journey and how the how was that experience very different from one place to
1: another um so i yeah, i went to school all through in calcutta and i went to jadavpur university for college where i did english which was also in calcutta so i stayed at home in my parents house okay for fairly long time I did my first master's degree there and then I went to Delhi where I was working as an editor at Penguin India for almost a year you must be like really young when you did that your
2: uh, your stint at Penguin then
1: yeah yeah so I I kind of I mean worked my way up right and so the overwhelm also kind of happened in stages Like when I went to Penguin for the first time and I met like all these authors that i had only read before, that was one level of overwhelming. And I had still never been outside the country. And then I went to the University of Stirling in Scotland. And Stirling is like this small town um, halfway between Edinburgh and Glasgow. And I was a Commonwealth scholar in publishing studies. So I was a funded student, basically. And, um, nobody in my family had been abroad. Like we were not wealthy enough to even, you know, go travel abroad. So that was quite a culture shock. Like Sterling was quite a culture shock. And, um, the most important was probably just the experience of like being visually the other for the first time. Because, you know, in India, I kind of pass as upper caste if you, until you hear my last name, like in the streets, I pass as upper caste. I get treated as upcast and I mean, I didn't even know that that's what, uh, you know, that's what happens, because that just always happened to me in my life. And, you know, you don't know this, your privilege. So, yeah, I mean, in Sterling, I, I lived there for almost a year and then I moved to London. And so again, it was like really staggering because I had not come to London. I had just when I came to Sterling, I, took a flight to Glasgow, and then somebody drove me down, right? Um, so just the scale of London, it's, like, huge. Like, you know, from, just from, like... Yeah, and London is just so
0: full of daisies though. So, so many Indians are settled there.
1: Right, right, right. So that was the great part. Like, it's, like, so big, so big. It's staggeringly big. And it felt more comfortable than sterling, though. You know, because there are like so many DCs, nobody scares at you in the streets anymore. You you just you're suddenly normal again, right? Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what
0: you mean by that? Like, did you face a lot of racism when you were in Scotland? So in
1: Scotland, and and this is true of a lot of England. Although I haven't been, I haven't been in the UK for so long that you know, all the later worse things I haven't experienced, but a lot. Large part of the UK, they would not be openly, like they wouldn't come and say something to you. They would just keep a polite distance. So, you know, sometimes like I'd get on a bus and say there's a seat next to me and there's this old white lady who gets on the bus who's like on a walker. She can barely stand. And the only seat next to me is next, like open is next to me. She would stand she wouldn't sit down next to me. She wouldn't say anything, you know? Things like that, like that has never happened to me before. And surprisingly, that happens in the United States a lot. People actually kind of don't sit next to people next to other, you know, of other races in the subway. I've noticed that. But, you know, by now it's become like, yeah, it's like if it's very crowded or something, yes, people would probably sit next to whoever. But if it's not crowded, somebody like a white person would not usually go and sit next to a black person and it's just casual like nobody really does anything it's it's like in the culture and i mean now i'm now i've got accustomed to it but when i first saw that yes it was very shocking and it was very offensive but I've like lived in these parts for so long that I've, yeah, you know, now it's whatever.
0: But you are settled in New York right now. Isn't it very diverse there? Do you see stuff like that when you're there?
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the subway thing happens in New York. That That happens in New York too. It happens everywhere. And yeah, but living in London and after that, I went to Seattle. Then I was in Philadelphia for almost one and a half years. And I certainly prefer it. Yeah, I, I prefer it in New York. Like, I would not survive in the American suburbia. Like, it's so white. And, I mean, oh, my God. I I keep referencing this movie called Hot Fuzz to everyone. It's a British movie. It's a dark British <laughs> comedy. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Papu and I freaking and, really I mean, love that that's movie. that's the way I feel about the suburbs. You know, I am terrified of the suburbs. And I think they're super weird. And I think there's some weird cult stuff going on. I'm not living there.
0: Ah, uh, yes, the American suburbia. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Klaus, who wrote Ghost World, kind of had his own take on it. Mm-hmm. You know, to him, mm-hmm. being in suburbia kind of evokes this very alienated feeling.
1: And the that's for the white person. That's That's still for the white person. Like, if you're a brown person in the suburbia, it's horror. It's like everybody looks like a horror movie character. But a
0: lot of Indians live in suburbia. I mean, it's like achieving the American dream to them. It's full, full of these. You've made it in
1: life. And that's a very savarna thing too. I am not savarna. I mean, I... So what do you prefer?
0: Do you prefer living here in New York? Or do you prefer the way life is back home in India? I mean, at
1: this stage, yeah, at this stage of my life, I guess, yes. I mean, I certainly liked my childhood. I liked my college, but I'm no longer in college, right? I mean, if I go back to Calcutta, like literally one friend is left in Calcutta. So, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. And also, I mean, given that I write science fiction and fantasy, and that's that's not entirely a career option in India. Like I did when I was at Penguin, I did edit some science fiction and fantasy, but maybe one or two books. But I was also editing a lot of other things that were... Not strictly
2: in my lane, you know. So, can you tell us some of your favorite books in the, in fiction and science fiction that uh, you know you would recommend to our
1: listeners? Um, so that's that's a really really long question because that's all I work with. So, you know, I, I'll give you sixty recommendations, but um... um, maybe
2: uh, what's your current favorite? Yeah, sure. <laughs>
0: And yeah, Papu, as we were both browsing through Mimi's website. We found so many book recommendations from her. I mean, I can't even begin to tell our listeners how knowledgeable yeah, yeah. she is on books. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. In fact, one of the persons, uh, you know, we, we interviewed uh, Shwetat uh, of um, the Ananya Chronicles in uh, last year. So oh, yeah. I was glad Shwetat to see Alisha. that also on, on your list. yeah.
1: So yeah, yeah, yeah she, she's on my list so yeah so I did like these this two-part history of South Asian speculative fiction for com, and the first part is from like the early late, late 18th century and nine, through 9th to the 19th and the 20th centuries so that's mostly older I think and that's mostly um a large part of it is in Bengali it's in Urdu it's in Hindi um in Tamil a lot um Some of it I found from... um, Somebody gave me recommendations in Sinhala. So these are not languages I read. Like, I don't read all of these languages. So some of them are from other people. Um, And the second part is a lot of speculative fiction writers, mostly in English, from, like, all over the world, South Asians, you know. And as far as I know, nobody has compiled a history like that before. Like, South Asians, not just from South Asia, but also from the UK, from the... Um, from the United States, there's like this very famous paranormal fantasy writer who is from New Zealand. You know, Nalili Singh, never heard of her before. Like before I started doing this research, that is. But she has so many books and she's a huge bestseller. So, yeah, so there are like so many authors and that that list, like that list has like over 100 authors. And that's all South Asian. Like South Asian Speculative Fiction specifically. So if you want that list, then that's on tour.com. By the way, Papu and I
0: had no idea that there were so many South Asian speculative fiction writers I, out I think there.
1: literally no one had any idea. I had just been like digging after this for ages because I did publishing studies. So yeah, that's like my
2: thing. Who would you call, have your name as your favorite writers? Who do you enjoy
1: reading? Okay, so yeah, I mean, I... I read up, like, I, I grew up reading a lot of non science fiction writers, and I grew up reading a lot of Bengali writers as well. Okay. Um. So I read a lot of Kasia Marquez, uh, Saman Rushdie, Angela Carter, um, Borges. I read a lot of Borges. Like, he's kind of racist and problematic, but you know, I learned a lot from his work. Like, I acknowledge that he's also problematic. Umberto um, Echo, who is not like who's realism really, but he's like so. His plots are so well-moving. Like, you know, he's so intellectual, but his plots move. Um, I read Jose Saramago, who is a Portuguese writer. Um, lots of Bengali writers. I mean, Tigor. Tagore wrote a lot of speculative fiction. He has some lovely horror stories. Um, Satyajit Ray, obviously. Um, Narayan Gangupadhyay. Sunil Gangupadhyay. Nabarun Bhattacharya. These are all Bengali authors who have, like, written semi-speculative fiction. Um, In more science fiction and fantasy, I mean, well, obviously Octavia Butler, I edited her book on her, right? Um, There are a lot of other contemporary writers. Like, I mostly read a lot of contemporary writers. I haven't read that many classics. Like, you know, sacrilege for the white nerds, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, the sad puppies really hate me, but that's okay. I, I don't need to be friends with the sad puppies. So whatever. Um, I mean, they don't really hate me because they probably don't know who I am. But, you know, I'm going for the Hugo Awards and I'm a nominee. So I'm a little worried they'll find out who I am. Yeah, so, I mean, author recommendations, right? So I I like a lot of international writers. I like a lot of people who engage with politics and, you know, the diversity of culture. So, yeah, things like that, which I, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people say that politics the fun in science fiction. Those are not the
0: people I'm friends with. But isn't science fiction supposed to be a representation of our society? So how can it not be political? Right, Just exactly.
1: I mean, when you're when you're talking about societies as a whole, then what are you talking
0: about? Yes, I agree. So now that we are done with all the serious questions, Mimi, are you ready for some fun, silly questions now?
1: Okay, okay, I am. Like, I'll. Uh... To prepare myself. I, I'm not sure if I'm a very fun person, but, you know. Okay, ask
0: away. What ice cream
1: flavor is
0: absolutely disgusting? Absolutely disgusting. Okay.
1: I try to avoid ice cream with mint. I mean, lactose and mint are two flavors that don't work together for me. But a lot of people love it. So good, so good. For them.
0: You're so right. Oh, you're so yeah. right. Mint is just such a weird flavor for ice cream.
1: I mean, it works for me that person can have their top and I can have my top and I don't have to share my ice cream which is not mint ice cream. They can eat their
0: mint ice cream. <laughs> oh, Mimi, I love this very diplomatic answer of yours. All right, Papu. Next so question.
2: When is the last time you screamed at the top of your lungs?
1: I probably haven't done it in a decade or something. I've never really screamed. Like I, I, I don't scream in anger. I don't scream in pain. Like I, I get really cold when I'm angry, but I, I don't like actually lose it. <laughs> I don't actually scream mm. ever. Really, am I the only one? <laughs>
0: I just screamed like ten minutes ago when I stubbed my toe. I scream like at least every ten minutes. Oh, <laughs> I swear
1: a lot. I swear a lot. Like I swear up the entire ancestry of the table that hit my motto you know mm. okay
2: so who's your favorite protagonist from a book you've read before not like
1: the favorite because that will be really hard for me to decide the really random favorite protagonist who i never get to talk about because like this book's not from a genre i read a lot is Elizabeth salander from god the girl with the dragon tattoo series like you know Ooh. i don't particularly, yeah, yeah, so i I don't particularly read thrillers, and so nobody really ever asks me about thrillers, but I mean, that mm. character I identified with that character so hard, and I mean, it was almost mm. unsettling because like you know, he's like had a lot of terrible things happen to her, right, yeah, but I loved that character so much,
2: oh, I really like that book a lot, too, so really quick. Uh nineteen eighty four or a brave new world? Ha. Huh. Nineteen eighty
1: four or a brave new world. I haven't actually read A Brave New World,
0: so okay. maybe nineteen eighty four. Okay. What about you, Papu? I'm curious. What's your answer? <laughs> uh
2: I just read uh A Brave New World and I feel it's like it every part of it like I had to shut the book and I'm like really process what I was reading because this book was written somewhere in I don't know 1940 or 50 I don't know but yeah, yeah it's so accurate in the way it uh, you know uh, in the way it portrays about how governments control it uh, keep their population in control by um, what we see right now is uh, not um, uh, uh, information is freely available but you don't know what is fake news what is real news whereas in 1984 it's like a totalitarian way of control where um, in a brave new world, you know, books are available, but no one is like interested in reading and stuff like that because they, they're getting high on the feelies and the mu and all of that stuff. And there's Soma, which I feel is so much like social media right now. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, that was, that was the reason that, that's why I wanted to know, like, you know, what you think.
1: So no, the only thing I have to say about these, and I mean, the only reason I haven't read them, is that a lot of later authors have written more modified versions of, you know, the same themes. And somehow, especially in science fiction and fantasy, people keep reading all these like really old works, which are sure, they're great. But, you know, if you're in mainstream fiction and you only read Jane, Jane Austen, that's not a very diverse mm-hmm. range, and that's not a very updated range mm-hmm. of reading. So, yeah. uh, for me, it,
2: it, also because once I read that, I, um, I later on identified that, like you said correctly, the later authors kind of used those themes and modified it. So I found out that a lot of my favorite works were modifications of the original. So it's like almost like tasting the dish as it was meant to be originally and then you're like oh yeah you know it uh, this is how it's changed in this place that I have it now and you know like having pizza and uh you know Na- naples and then be like oh now I know that's the real like that's that's the original taste and that's you appreciate the modifications also but it's always um Nice to know that this is how it started off and this is yeah, how yeah. it's taken I mean, off.
1: I, like so, so, so yeah. when we were working on um, luminescent threads, I mean a lot of people talked about Octavia Butler's parable novels. So she has two of them. Um, and those novels also portray like a post apocalyptic world. In a I mean, so novels are called Parable of the Sore and Parable of the Talents and they were they came out in the 1990s, mostly. Um, And somehow, like when um, The Handmaid's Tale got made, right? I mean, a lot of us who have read Butler think the parable novels depict something like that much better than The Handmaid's Tale. So I get a little defensive when people talk about classics by white authors in science fiction and fantasy. Because in science fiction and fantasy, that movement is still happening. You know, like people, very like large number of fans really don't see beyond the white authors. And which kind of means that the white authors keep getting more recommended. Like, you know, you're maybe not a core science fiction and fantasy fan. And you've heard about Huxley or Orwell or Atwood a lot more, more than you've heard about Butler. You know? So these Mm, people, like, it becomes an entire process. Like, these people get canonized a lot more. And then more and more people hear of them, and they get more and more legitimized. And the non-white writers don't. Even from the same period. Even from Mm. the same, you know, even with the same talent. Even having written the same subject. So I get very defensive about, like, yes, sure, those people are the classics. But those people are not the only ones. And, I mean, it kind of matters because if that friend continues even a writer like me will not get noticed you know like my white friend will Mm. get noticed more than i do like the person who's literally friends with me the person who was in my classroom the person who i exchange stories with will sell way more copies than i i will and that person will become a more legitimate writer somehow than i will because the entire fandom reads white authors, yeah. So yes, so that person—it's—I'm not, not saying that person's a bad writer, but I'm yeah. not a bad writer either,
2: right? That's that's a really great way of putting it, and it uh, kind of reminds me of this quote that I read, uh, which basically spoke about in the art world and you can apply the same thing for the art world it's like stop making dead artists famous and richer in fact that's the word it said because all these old works keep getting more um you know uh, value whereas what you're uh, not failing to recognize is new talent um people who actually need your support to to grow as an artist so and that totally applies to works of literary art too. Mm-hmm. Very
1: true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in science fiction fantasy, we talk about racism and feminism and, you know, a lot of isms because, I mean, it really matters. I mean, it also really matters in what new authors get picked up. Like, I actually once did this social experiment. I recommended to my friends in India um, one Indian author who I like, like one of the people that I suggested to you earlier up, and then one white mm-hmm. author I like. And They all went and bought the white author's book. They hadn't heard of any of, like either of these people, but they would go and buy the white author's book because somehow a white man's name sounds more legitimate. You know, a white man's name sounds like a science fiction writer, although they've never heard of that guy. And that guy is really good. I'm not like, this is not my judgment on the guy himself. He's really good. He's a really good writer. He's a really good person. But who is the Indian writer? You know? People would just, like, that's not the perception that people have. They would literally pick up a white man they've never heard of because that sounds like a more legitimate science fiction writer's name. And we still have to struggle a lot about that. And we've had to, like, not me personally, like, why do you think Satyajit Ray doesn't have a Hugo Award? Like, why not? Because a name like Satyajit Ray did not win Hugo Awards back then. They wouldn't even consider him. And that is bias. That is bias all over.
0: Yes, Mimi, you're so right. You're absolutely right. But yeah, I think that is it for all our questions. Thank you for answering all of these. They were great. Thank you for having me. And thank you for like letting me ramble on. No, no, you did not ramble at all. I think that your voice, your point of view is so incredibly important. And that's why we really wanted to have you on the show. It's so important for us to uplift voices like yours and to support each other as they see women, you know, in this crazy world. So really, thank you again for coming on and for being a part of our girl gang now. Like, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Yes. And for our listeners that want to support Mimi on her journey, you can also follow her on Patreon.
1: Yeah, it's it's Patreon at Mimi Mondal. So it's just my name as the URL. And where can our
0: listeners also follow you on social media?
1: I'm mostly, largely on Twitter. So it's Miminality, which is a play on minimality and liminality.
2: Yeah, I really like it. Uh, it's really smart. <laughs>
0: And where can our listeners also read all your short stories online?
1: I have a website. Um, it's Um It should have all my writing listed. Most of my writing is on the internet. There are two stories which are on juggernaut books. Um, one is called Other People and one is called This Solid Earth, Our Home. And these are behind the juggernaut paywall, so you need to buy them. Um, I really like those, bo- those two stories because those were the ones that are like my historical fantasy in an early 20th century India. And they are, they're about a circus that's like traveling through India and it's called the majestic Oriental circus. And there are all these odd people that, that it picks up who becomes a circus performers. And, um, A lot of them are like monsters or they're like, you know, forgotten gods or other creatures. And because the circus travels, I can go all over India and pick them up from different parts. So it really helps me explore like a lot of local mythology, which I really like. I mean, I grew up on local mythology, like not the very, not just the epics, you know. And like I said, I have a story coming up on Fireside magazine on the 1st of May, I think, or or at some point in May, if not the 1st. Um, I have a story coming up with Strange Horizons at some point, and I have a novelette coming up with Tor.com, but that's next year and a novelette is basically a long short story
0: awesome Mimi thank you so much for sharing all that Papu any last
2: questions? no that's it Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with our listeners and uh, yeah we're totally following and fangirling with you on on your twitter
0: yes thank you again Mimi so much for your time and
1: for hanging out with us okay yeah 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 thank you so much again Bye. bye bye bye
0: Awesome, Papu. That I had was. so much fun. I'm so excited to have her as part of our girl gang. I know. So please, right? guys, do check out her website. Read her short stories. Papu and I love her writing style. Like I'm, I, I just want to see more from from her. I'm going to be like following her. Her stuff is amazing. So that's it from us. Yeah, that is it for our show. I hope you guys liked it. Yeah. Our whole spiel on finding friends as an adult. I hope we educated yeah. all of you.
2: And I'm looking forward to my trip. And uh, if you're following us on Instagram, at Just Keep Up, you can look out for our stories, uh, Insta stories from Bhutan.
0: Yay! We're going to be seeing... Penis-shaped paintings, Papu. I'm so excited. I'm literally, I'm literally posting big pics. We'll be actively (laughs) posting for everyone to see. And also, guys, (laughs) please share your 420 uh, images with us too and stories. And we'd love to hear them. So we'll be celebrating that next week as well. (laughs) All hail goddess Mary Jane. Woo! All right, everybody. Okay. So,
2: Papuri, you you have a wonderful week. And I'll see you in May. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) guys, this is Papu, the other half of Chuski Pop. If you like what you hear, then give us a follow. You can also read our rants and daily gyan's on Twitter, on SoundCloud and Instagram. You can check out our website for art, music and musings on chuskipop.com.
0: Perfect, excellent, wonderful. let
2: go. What Stop it, stop it! क्या हुआ? तुम्हें क्या हुआ? कुछ नहीं। अरे, अभी तो फोन पे कह रहे थे कि अगर आप मीटिंग पर नहीं जाएंगे, तो साढ़े तीन करोड़ का नुकसान होगा। हम्म, तीन करोड़ का नुकसान होगा ना? तो मुझे एक बात बताओ, कि तीन
1: करोड़, तुम बढ़कर हैं?
2: नहीं, लेकिन
1: फिर लेकिन नुकसान जहाँ मैं दिन भर भूखी रह सकती
2: हूँ, दो-चार घंटे और भूखी रह लूँगी, तो मर तो नहीं जाओंगे, ना? आप जल्दी से लौटा, फिर हम दोनों साथ साथ खाएंगे। तुम ही मेरी कसम जाओ ना।
0: चलो अपने कसम दे ही दी तो।
2: हम्म, एक फोन कर लो, फोन कर लूँ उस कमीने को। हैलो?
1: तैयार है ना मैं आ रहा।
2: आ